Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Hi, everyone. I hope everyone had a great week. This month has been a little special if you're looking at your feed because I released three episodes in a row without a break. It is so nice to be with you for the last few weeks, but this is just a little treat for everyone for this month. It's my baby's first birthday, my husband and I's 11 year anniversary. It's my birthday, my husband's birthday, and I just wanted to celebrate with all of you. I am going back to an every other week release starting today. So I'll check you guys out after this in two weeks. If you wanna hear more military content, there is some more out there. So be sure to check out my Patreon fan club, at patreon.com slash military murder. If you can't remember that, just go to patreon.com and in the search, just put military murder and it'll pop right up. There, you can get at least 20 full length bonus episodes covering cases that I've never released on the free public feed. In addition to bonus content every month, as well as access to the previous bonus content, all patrons get ad-free episodes and the Patreon is just a way to support the show and to allow me to continue to put out this content. For all my iPhone iOS users who use Apple Podcasts, I just released a similar subscription with the lowest tier there, so be sure to check that out. All right, on with the show. Today's case has been on my mind for close to two years. When I heard about it, I was floored and I got caught up in a Google black hole, but I didn't know how to pronounce the last names and the case was an international case and I just kept putting it off for some reason. But then a few weeks ago, I saw an ad from Magellan TV that read, win your dream job. Enter today to watch 24 hours of nonstop true crime and get paid. I was like, wait, what? That sounds like something I already do. Since of course I watch true crime TV shows all the time. So I applied and guess what? (laughs) I freaking won. I was nervous and excited and all that jazz. At the beginning of this month, I set out to complete this task. And if you follow me on Instagram and or TikTok, you know that they were very generous and allowed me 48 hours to watch 32 documentaries. Of course, I kept my eyes peeled for any military cases or cases with a military connection. And well, of the 32 documentaries, there was only one. The title of that documentary was Parachute Murder Plot. As soon as I saw the title, I was like, wait a minute, this can't be. And when I pressed play, it was. It was the case, the case that I had researched briefly a few years ago, but never committed to writing until now. This case has twists and turns, and just when you think it can't get any crazier, it does. Join me today as I tell you the miraculous story of British Army Captain Victoria Silliers. Now, let's dig in. My sources for this episode include a documentary found on Magellan TV titled Parachute Murder Plot, 
presented by British journalist Fiona Bruce. I also relied on articles written in The Sun, Daily Mail, Good Morning Britain, JustGiving.com, and Mirror. On Easter Sunday 2015, Victoria Silliers was getting ready for her first parachute jump in over a year. Victoria was an adrenaline junkie, a captain in the British Army. She skydived for her first time when she was just 16 years old. Her first jump was part of a cancer charity, and it took place in Scotland. Victoria was addicted to skydiving ever since, and by this Easter Sunday jump, she had taken the plunge off of a perfectly functioning aircraft over 2,060 times. And the reason why she hadn't skydived in close to a year before this in 2015 was because she was pregnant with her second child, a baby boy she named Ben. You see, as crazy as this sounds, Victoria was five weeks postpartum at this time. She was still breastfeeding and all. But this skydive was somewhat of a gift from her husband, a military man named Emil. So with him at home with the kids, Victoria did her damn thing. This was like mommy's day out. She arrived at the Nether Avon airfield. Now, I'm not sure if I said that right, but she got geared up with her parachute and she climbed on the airplane at 4 p.m. She would be jumping over Salisbury Plains. Victoria was with at least one other skydiver, a man named James Rankin. They were up in the airplane and something about this jump didn't sit well with Victoria, but she couldn't quite put her finger on it. But she told herself that she was just being silly. I mean, she was a parachute instructor, for goodness sake. Nothing to be afraid of. Maybe she was just feeling that mom guilt because she left her kids behind. But whatever it was, Victoria assured herself that she would be fine once her feet hit the ground. Jane was also a bit nervous about the jump. He said it was because it was a lower jump than their usual, meaning they were jumping at a lower height than normal. But Victoria told him that everything would be okay, and he took off out of the airplane first. Soon thereafter, Victoria jumped. In that moment of free fall, she felt, well, free. James was in her sight and she in his. Then Victoria pulled her main parachute, but it failed to open properly. At this point, Victoria was not yet panicked. She had always taught her students to remain calm in a situation just like this. She knew what to do. She just had to break away from her main parachute to release her reserve parachute. And she did just that. But when she went to release her reserve chute, it also malfunctioned, leaving Victoria, a wife and mother of two, to plummet to the earth. Victoria was able to do what she could to slow her descent, but it wasn't enough. As James looked on midair, Victoria quickly plummeted right past him and landed. It was 4.27 p.m. when she hit the ground, just 27 short minutes from when her feet got on that airplane. James was a nervous wreck. He was sure Victoria Silliers was dead. Down on the ground, everyone ran over to Victoria. They also were sure she was dead. And then, almost as if out of a Roadrunner cartoon, Victoria opened her eyes. Everything seemed kind of far away. She could see the sky and she could hear the people's voices that were faintly coming into focus for her. She then tested out her extremities. She could feel her fingers, her toes, her arms, her legs. And she thought, oh, okay, let me go ahead and get up on out of here. But that was not going to happen. Now, if you're thinking Victoria had died and had an afterlife experience, you're wrong. Victoria Silliers did in fact survive a 4,000 foot plummet from the sky, but she was not unscathed. 
and she did not walk away from that spot where she landed. She was quickly put on a stretcher and swept away via helicopter to a hospital. It wasn't until later that day that Victoria would learn all the damage the fall had caused. Victoria suffered a broken pelvis, ribs, collapsed lung, fractured spine, etc., etc. One thing was for certain, Victoria Ciliers definitely had guardian angels somewhere because it was a sheer miracle that she survived that fall at all. Turns out that the only reason she survived the fall was because a field where she landed was freshly plowed, making for a softer landing. 16 feet over from her landing zone was pure pavement. If she would have hit that, she would have surely met her maker. Emile Ciliers was born in South Africa. When he was a teenager, about 16 years old, he fell in love with a 13-year-old girl named Nicolene Shepard. The couple stayed together for seven years, and in those seven years, they had two children together. But Emile could never stay faithful. Nicolene was willing to see past Emile's imperfections because he was charming, and she thought they'd be together forever. But then one day, he left South Africa to go to the UK to find a job. One day, a while after Emile had been gone, Nicolene got a call from Emile's mother informing her that Emile was never coming back to South Africa and that she should just move on with her life. Turns out, Emile had shacked up with another woman in the UK. Nicolene was shocked and utterly heartbroken, her entire life and dream completely shattered. Meanwhile, Emile had married a woman named Carly. Now, it's unclear if the two of them had two kids together but I know that he did have two more kids after those kids with Nicolene. But it could have been a different lady. I presume it was Carly. That information has not been made clear in my research. In any event, at some point, Emile and Carly divorced. By 2004, Emile joined the British Army. And in 2010, while stationed in Tidworth, he met Victoria. Now, Victoria and Emile quickly hit it off. And Victoria introduced Emile to skydiving. And that became kind of their thing. They were both adrenaline junkies. Emile learned how to parachute quicker than most newbies because he was dating the instructor. By 2011, the couple got married at a lavish wedding in Cape Town, South Africa. And Victoria believed this would be her happily ever after. She gave birth to their daughter, Celine. And then three years later, in 2015, she gave birth to their son, Ben. At this point, if you're keeping track, Emile has six kids. Which, listen, you do you, boo, however many kids you want. But his kids in South Africa, at least the two that he had there, yeah, it turns out he never even bothered to call. At least that's how the story goes. When Victoria woke up in the hospital, she was a bit confused. She didn't know what all the fuss was about. When she landed and did her safety check, arms, legs, fingers, everything seemed to be working fine. When she first opened her eyes in the hospital, she saw her husband sitting by her side. However, he didn't jump at the sign of her waking up. Eventually, he said, hey, finally, you're awake. How are you feeling? Victoria was so upset with herself. Her marriage was on the rocks before this incident, and she was hopeful that things were on the upswing. And now this. Victoria responded to her husband. Fine, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cause all of this hassle. Victoria felt pangs of anger. She knew it wasn't her fault. She was an expert skydiver. But nonetheless, this was going to be tough on her family and her marriage. But there in the hospital, something wasn't right. 
Emil never paid her much attention. And then after the first few days, he didn't even come to the hospital to visit her anymore. Instead, he blamed it on the army and said that he had to work and couldn't come. In addition to this disappointment, Victoria was only five weeks postpartum. She was devastated that she wasn't able to breastfeed her baby. When the doctors came in to tell Victoria all the damage that she had suffered, she was not ready for the news. They expected her to be in the hospital for at least three months. Unless, of course, she chose surgery. Victoria, ever the active woman, could not stand the thought of being away from her babies for three months. She opted for surgery. And miraculously, within two weeks of the fall, doctors signed off on her return home. Now, by the way, I haven't mentioned this at this point, but Victoria was also in the military and she was a physiotherapist. And that's why she chose the surgery. She just wanted to get better as soon as possible. At the hospital, Victoria was eager to return home to her kids. When the accident first happened, Emil left the kids with his ex-wife, Carly. And Victoria was fine with this since she was friendly with his ex-wife. Soon after Victoria was in the hospital for a little bit, Victoria's mom and dad came into town to help out. It appeared that every time Victoria saw baby Ben on FaceTime, he just seemed so much bigger than the last time. Now with an early release, Victoria was ready to return home. She knew she wouldn't be much help with the kids, but she just wanted to be in the comfort of her own house. After the doctors signed off on her release, Victoria called Emil to come get her. But instead of a happy husband thrilled to have his wife home, Emil wasn't able to pick her up for three more days because he had to work. As a physiotherapist, Victoria knew she needed to do this to get better. So she did everything in her power, even while being in a full on body brace to recover. Then a few weeks after being home, she got a knock on the door. It was the police. They wanted to talk to her about Emil. Oh no, Victoria thought. Is he okay? He's fine, they told her. Okay, so what's wrong? They told her that Emil had just been arrested. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com 
Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy. And when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Skydiving is a very serious sport. People who skydive are typically obsessed with extreme sports, in my personal, non-professional opinion, that is. Accidents like Victoria's are rare in the skydiving community, but when someone's parachute malfunctions, the aftermath is very methodical. Skydivers are not just going to leave it to chance, be like, oh, well, whatever, it is what it is. Of course, they inspect the parachute to figure out what the hell went wrong. My assumption is that once they inspect it, they find out the issue, and then they use that to educate and train others. You know, the way that in the military we use after action reports. In any event, that's exactly what happened in this case. Within hours of the accident, the parachute club got their hands on Victoria's parachute and they began inspecting it. But they were cautious, going as far as recording themselves inspecting the parachute. They painstakingly comb inch by inch through the entire thing. As they're combing through the parachute, it is clear to them that Victoria's fall was not an accident. It wasn't the result of a parachute malfunction and it wasn't the result of user error. The parachute malfunction, I'm air quoting here per se, was deliberate. Whoever packed Victoria's parachute, well, let's just say there was clearly foul play. So the day after Victoria's fall, the parachute club got together and they called the police. The case was assigned to an officer slash detective, DC Maddie Henna. She heard the parachute club's concerns and really it was too early to tell what happened. So she sent Victoria's parachute to be inspected by the British Parachute Association. Now it was their responsibility to conduct a formal review. Because no one had died in this particular incident, and by all accounts, it was probably just an accident, this case didn't appear to be a top priority. But then, as reported in the Parachute Murder Plot documentary, five days after the fall, one of Victoria's close friends called the police station to talk about Emile Ciliers. Victoria's husband. This friend had heard from Victoria that her marriage was on the rocks and Emil was not the model soldier slash husband slash father that everyone thought him to be. And with that, DC Maddie Henna took a closer look at the entire case. But she wouldn't have to investigate blind per se because four weeks after Victoria's fall, the British Parachute Association returned their inspection result. The British Parachute Association reported that there were no mechanical issues with the parachute. This parachute had been tampered with, and whoever tampered with it knew exactly what they were doing. For starters, whoever wrapped the parachute, no kidding, wrapped the lines around the parachute as tight as possible, and doing so would not allow the parachute to inflate when it needed it to inflate. But wait, there's more. Whoever packed the reserve chute, removed two of the lines that attach the reserve chute to the harness that the parachuter is wearing, and these attachments are called slinks. With this information, now Detective Maddie had to figure out who had access to Victoria's parachute. And when she investigates, wouldn't you know it, it was a mother-loving Emile Ciliers. On April 28th, detectives arrest Emile and charge him with attempted murder. When they first bring him in for questioning and tell him about the charge, he doesn't say anything. He's more stoic. 
He confided in the detectives that he was a bit tiffed at them for the way they arrested him on base in front of his subordinates because, you know, he has a persona that he needs to keep up with. But even in his tiffy-ass mood, he blabbed and blabbed and blabbed to the detectives for six hours. He openly told detectives that he was seeing another woman that was not his wife. He actually couldn't envision his marriage to Victoria lasting another 10 years. He was all up in the interrogation room just talking about how he had a massively healthy sex drive. But his wife? Eh, Not so much. He said they struggled to have sex twice a week because his wife had a low sex drive. So he's got this side piece, Stephanie Goler. They started off as just friends, but things progressed from there. Later, however, the media reported that Emil and Stephanie met on Tinder. So this whole just friends thing seems to be BS since Tinder is not really known for just being friends. Throughout the entire six-hour interview, Emil never offered that he didn't commit the crime that he was being accused of. He just basically bitched about his life and his wife and blah, 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 poor me, poor me. But really, even with full six hours of Emil talking about how he really doesn't even like his wife, the police didn't have enough to hold him in jail. So they end up releasing him on the condition that he can't return home and live with his wife and kids. And with that, Emil moved into a room in the barracks where he decorated the walls with pictures of his girlfriend. No pictures of his wife or family in sight. Now, break, break. Just a reminder that this occurred in the UK, not in the US. So their arrest slash charging rules or laws are different. As police enter Victoria's house to tell her that they have arrested her husband, Victoria was stunned to learn the reason for Emile's arrest, her attempted murder. She let out an excruciating scream, something that you might have expected out of her at the hospital after the fall, after her surgery, but no, she had been an overall good sport about the physical injuries. But now she was sitting at her home. They told her the fall was not an accident at all, but an attempt on her life by her husband, the father of her two children. Once Victoria calmed down, detectives asked her if she would go with them down for questioning, and she agreed. Down at the station, the situation went from bad to worse. Victoria was pretty closed off. She just couldn't fathom the thought that Emil tried to kill her. They told her about the missing slings, and while Victoria was still sure the entire accident was just that, an accident, learning that two of the four slings were literally missing did cause her pause. Anyone who knows anything about parachuting knows that slinks are crucial to a pre-jump parachute inspection. A little doubt then crept in, but Victoria was not convinced yet. Then detectives told her about the other woman, Stephanie. They told Victoria that Emil admitted to the affair. Victoria, though, was not really shocked by this information because she had kind of sort of known about the affair. Before Christmas a few months earlier, She caught on to Emil always having to work late. And then he, no kidding, conjured up an entire work trip that happened to fall during the New Year's holiday. But instead of a work trip, Emil was off gallivanting with his girlfriend. He actually took her on a ski trip while his pregnant wife stayed home with their toddler. But wait, Emil tried to play off his wife's pregnancy to his girlfriend, telling Stephanie that he was sure the baby wasn't even his and telling her that he would be demanding a paternity test when the baby was born. Upon hearing that Emil had not only been cheating, 
confirmation of something she kind of already knew, but that he had denied their child's paternity, Victoria was sick to her stomach. Detectives ask her about her parachute. They want to know everything. She told them that the entire jump was Emil's idea, his gift to her, kind of like a push gift, no pun intended. He went with her to the airfield. Now, it's unclear to me if it was the day of the jump or the day prior, but when they were at the airfield, their younger daughter did need to go to the restroom. Emil took the child to the restroom, and it was then, as Victoria's telling this story, that she recalled that Emil had the parachute with him when he went to the bathroom. And this is a key moment in the case because detectives could not imagine a time where Emil would be alone with the parachute. But now, bingo, this was it. They questioned Victoria, how long was Emil in the restroom with their daughter and the parachute? And she said, I don't know, five to 10 minutes top. And with that, detectives got to work. But more on this a little bit later. Before detectives ended their interview with Victoria, they asked her one last question. Is there anything else we should know? And Victoria said, well, I guess I should tell you about the gas leak. Detectives' eyes opened wide. A gas leak? Yes, Victoria continued. Six days before she fell 4,000 feet from the sky, there was a gas leak in her house. Detectives were now all ears. Victoria then told them the craziest story of all. The weekend before the skydive, Emil decided that he was going to spend the night in the barracks to avoid the Monday morning traffic. On Monday morning, when Victoria woke up and walked into the kitchen, she smelled an intense gas smell. She opened the cabinet for the gas pipe that led to the stove and said it looked like it had been tampered with. As reported by The Sun, Victoria immediately sent Emil a text message that said something like, are you trying to kill me? She then questioned him about the gas lever that goes into the stove. Emil responded, quote, nope, that's weird. Is the stove working? End quote. Victoria told authorities that when she inspected the gas line, she saw blood. And that was just odd. It was either the same day as the gas leak or the following day that Emil suggested a gift for his wife, a postpartum skydive. Victoria's interview ended and authorities immediately asked her permission to inspect the gas line at her house and she allowed it. Upon closer inspection, the neck of the gas line did appear to have been loosened and detectives take the gas line and sent it for forensic testing. On September 16th, 2015, detectives brought Emil in for a second interview. It is clear from the interview footage that Emil was not happy to be there. He looked like a child who had just been called into the principal's office after a school fight. His face was all scrunched up, his arms crossed. During the interview, the detectives ask him about parachute checks and what it all entails. And this POS, no kidding, said, quote, it's just the standard checks. I'm sure you can investigate and ask the right questions to the right people in regards to checking the parachute, end quote. And they're like, yeah, but we want you to tell us how to do it. And like a small, frustrated child, he said, I can't remember. A while later, the detectives want to know more about Stephanie Goler, his girlfriend. How are things going with her? And it's at this point during the interview that Emil got sad. He admitted that they had broken up and he, no kidding, starts to tear up. They bring him a mother flipping blanket and put it over his shoulders like a big fat baby. As he's cozied up with his blanket, he grabs some tissues to wipe his tears. Are you freaking kidding me? 
I can't make this stuff up, y'all. This man has not shown one ounce of remorse for his wife that fell 4,000 feet. But at the mention of a breakup, he's crying? The interview doesn't really conjure up more information for detectives, except that they know that this guy is full of crap. So they let him go. But weeks later, they would get another lead. The test results for the gas pipe returned conclusive evidence that the gas pipe at the Cilier's house had been tampered with. Well, you're probably wondering, how could they tell? Well, it was evident that someone had used a wrench of sorts to loosen the pipe. And I learned something new during my research for this case. But did you know that wrenches or pliers, they tend to leave a form of a distinct fingerprint when used? Yes. Well, when they inspected the Cilier's home, they found a tool that left the exact mark on the neck of the gas pipe, which proved that it had been tampered with because they were like, we had never touched it, but clearly they had. Which jackpot. By this point, detectives had also scanned through the thousands of messages on Emile's phone, and they pinpoint one specific message that stood out to them. In January of 2015, Emile sent Stephanie a text message telling her that after April, he would be free to make whatever plans she wanted. What? Why April, you might ask? Was it because Emile had been planning to kill his wife immediately after the baby was born? Oh, anyway, so on November 23rd, 2015, detectives brought Emile in for a third interview. They asked him about messing with the gas pipe and they asked him what he meant when he told his girlfriend he would be free in April. But Emile said nothing. Throughout the investigation into Emile Cilliers, detectives learned that from the outside looking in, Emile appeared to be a clean-cut military man, a man that towed the company line. But behind closed doors, he was anything but. A review of his text message revealed that Emile was a two-timing SOB times 100. Not only did he have a wife and a girlfriend, Stephanie Goler, but remember his ex-wife, Carly? Turns out he had been hooking up with her as well. But he didn't stop there. He had a wife, a girlfriend, a backup girlfriend who happened to be his ex-wife, but he was also soliciting escorts and visiting swingers clubs. Apparently, while his wife was in the hospital recovering from the fall, Emil was texting Stephanie, texting his wife in the hospital, and making plans to meet up with an escort and recording their sexcapade. I mean, honestly, how do people have energy for this? Like, seriously, I mean, what is he, what is the man taking to give him this much freaking energy? I need to know. But wait, did you hear what I said when I said he frequented swingers clubs? Well, listen, to each their own. If you want to be a swinger, do your thing. But in this particular case, it wasn't a case where he visited the swingers club with his wife or one of his many girlfriends. This guy went alone. In that documentary, The Parachute Murder Plot, they actually visit this swingers club and it is quite interesting. The club has since been shut down, but it basically looks like a row house connected to other row houses. It's like in between. It's not even like a corner row house. Now, the previous club owner, he gave Fiona Bruce, the British journalist who put on this uh, show, he gave her a tour. He said that they often got up to 100 visitors during any given weekend day when they were open. And he said that Emil was a frequent flyer there. His favorite place, Emil's favorite place in the house was the glory hole. Y'all, and it's exactly what you imagine. It's a door slash wall with a few holes in it. 
and people walk by and they would peek into the hole. And if they liked what they saw, well, they would stick their wanger through the hole. I say wanger, they say willy, whatever, you call it what you want. Now, the owner said that Emil was very quiet when he was at the club, but that he came off as creepy and somewhat aggressive. On one occasion, he got real pushy with a woman and her husband actually had to come to her defense. And Emil Ciliers, the military man, was kicked out of the club for not following the already very lax rules of the club. This really does give you a peek into the person that Emil truly was. In addition to all of the sex stuff, which it is what it is, detectives uncover yet another motive for wanting his wife out of the picture. Money. Turns out that after he abandoned his family during the new year, Victoria had had enough. She decided to cut him out of her will. Not only was she mad at him for cheating, she was mad because Emil was terrible with money. She often found money straight up missing out of her account. She didn't know what he was spending it on, but she knew that it was disappearing quite quickly. She wanted her kids to be taken care of in the event that something happened to her. So she cut Emil out of the will and left the house to the kids. What Victoria didn't do, however, was change her life insurance policy. If she died, Emil was still the beneficiary to the tune of 125,000 pounds. With this information, detectives now believe that they had enough to take the case to trial. And this was kind of a celebrity trial in the UK. Everyone was watching this trial like a hawk. Trial began in October of 2017. The lead prosecutor was Michael Bowles QC. He recognized this was a strictly circumstantial case, but he was confident they could win with the evidence that they had. Every day for close to a month, Emil walked into court without a care in the world. When you see pictures of him in court and outside the courtroom, it's easy to look at the picture and think he's just one of the attorneys. He was always dressed to the T, sometimes even appearing at trial with a three-piece suit on. The prosecutors thought that he was quite arrogant and he played the part of a good soldier well. Shoulders back, straight back, always looking straight ahead. But Prosecutor Bowes didn't hold back the punches. For 23 days, they presented evidence about the torrid relationship between Emil and Victoria. They presented the evidence of the debt that he had accumulated over the years, something in excess of 20,000 pounds. They discussed how he would benefit from his wife's life insurance money if she was dead. Because this case was so technical involving skydiving and safety checks and all that jazz, they actually taught the jury how to skydive. They had to teach them everything there was to know about parachutes and skydiving. Heck, they even bust the jury out to the airfield. Prosecutor Bao said in the documentary that by the end of it, the jury had done everything someone does in preparation for a jump. They did everything except for jump. The prosecutor also showed a video demonstration on how all Emil would have needed was five to 10 minutes max in the bathroom with the parachute to alter it by wrapping the cords around the parachute and removing the two slings. It was a very damning demonstration for the defense. The jury also heard about the gas leak. They learned about the tools in the house. The jury heard about the girlfriend and about the ex-wife and about the swingers club. And one other thing that they heard about was Emil's Google search. Only days before Victoria's fall, Emil had been searching for a wet nurse. 
Of course, I had to Google this myself. But for those of you who don't know, a wet nurse is someone who breastfeeds someone else's baby. What? Okay, what? Why the hell would Emil be looking for someone to breastfeed his baby or any other baby for that matter? Did he somehow magically know that Victoria was going to be out of commission? It really just adds to the callousness with which Emil functioned. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. By day 23 of the trial, the prosecutor was confident that they would win the case. The jury just had one more person to hear from. They had to hear from Victoria Silliers herself. Victoria had not been allowed to sit in the courtroom during all of the testimonies since she would be called as a witness later, but she later admitted that she did watch the news at home, so she kind of knew what was going on. When it was her day to testify, all the cameras were on her. The prosecutor felt pretty confident Victoria's testimony would be the nail in Emile's coffin, but when she took the stand, she got cold feet. Standing there in the courtroom, she tried to make eye contact with her husband, but he was on the other side of the courtroom. She couldn't believe that he would actually do this to her. The prosecutor told Victoria about Emile's girlfriend, about the escorts, about how Emile was sleeping with his ex-wife, Carly. Victoria stood there, utterly shocked. She had no clue that Emile was still hooking up with his ex-wife. Hell, she had stayed with the kids when the initial accident happened. Victoria was back to feeling sick to her stomach. When the prosecutor asked Victoria a very important question, how long had Emil been in the bathroom with his daughter while holding on to her parachute? Victoria said she couldn't remember, but it couldn't have been that long. On the stand, Victoria said that when she was first interviewed about this exact question, she lied and exaggerated the time because she was so furious with Emil. And in that very moment, the prosecutor's entire case went straight out the window. After the case concluded, the jury went back to deliberate. And eventually, on November 23, 2017, they had an announcement to make. In the courtroom, everyone held their breath as the jury said that they could not come to a consensus. This was a hung jury. 
The prosecution was not shocked considering Victoria's testimony, but with a hung jury instead of a not guilty verdict, the prosecution had another shot and they took it. In the meantime, however, Emil was a free man and he returned back to work for the army. Hell, he was even making YouTube videos, but more on that later. The prosecution was not giving up on the Celier's case, and five months later, in April of 2018, they were back in court, same charges as last time, but now the prosecution knew Victoria's position, so they had to persuade the jury without her. This second trial lasted six weeks. The prosecution went harder than before, and they painted a better picture of the double, even triple life that Emil was leading. They brought in more text messages, they brought in more of the facts around all of the things that Emil did for sex, things that his wife was standing in the way of. He also testified in this trial, but I haven't found a lot about what he said, so I haven't included that here. At the end of the trial, the jury deliberated for three days and they returned a guilty verdict. When the verdict was read, Emil didn't even flinch. Emil was subsequently sentenced at the Winchester Crown Court by Mr. Justice Sweeney, and Justice Sweeney was disgusted with Emil. In sentencing him to life in prison, he said that Emil attempted two murders, quote, in cold blood for his own selfish purpose, which include financial gain, end quote. Outside the courtroom, Detective Inspector Paul Franklin told the media, quote, Emile Ciliers is dangerous. He's a cold, callous, selfish man who cares only about money and his sexual conquest. Today's sentencing means that society is a little safer with him locked away, end quote. Because of British laws, Emile will have to serve 18 years in prison. Then I don't know if it's parole or something different because this is in the UK. In a crazy twist to this already twisted story, after Emil went to jail, he called Victoria and asked her to come visit him in jail. And she did, pretty regularly, in fact, for two months. Later, Victoria said that she visited him because she wanted more information. She was still in disbelief that he would attempt to kill her twice. And on one of those occasions, he really had no regard for the lives of his two kids who were home during the gas leak. Even after the conviction, Emil denied, denied, denied everything. And at one point, he begged Victoria to come visit him more frequently. He claimed no one else would visit him. But Victoria explained that she began to feel suffocated by Emil. So one day, she told him she wanted a divorce. Emil was not happy about this, and he told her that he wasn't going to sign any paperwork because, quote, he wanted more time to discuss the viability of the marriage, end quote. Excuse me, what? Bye, Felicia. Now, it took time, lots of time, but eventually they did figure something out and Victoria and Emil are now officially divorced. Victoria has since told the media that she is hopeful that once Emil is released from jail, he will be deported back to South Africa. Remember that YouTube channel I told you I was going to get to? Well, I'm about to get to it. After I concluded most of my research for this episode, I went to YouTube to see what I could find there. And wouldn't you know it, I found Emil's YouTube page. <laughs> I was completely shocked. I happened upon a video of Emil playing a guitar and singing some song. I don't know what it is. 
and it was dated April 24th, 2018, which was weeks before his trial. He sounds blah, whatever, I'm not talking about that. But of course, I immediately went to the comments and boy, did I have a good laugh. The first commenter says, quote, Emil, why would any man try to murder his wife? End quote. <laughs> to which a person responds, quote, he's in jail for life and cannot answer, end quote. Another commenter wrote, quote, I hope the prison is always out of lube, end quote. Another says of his singing skills, dreary and monotonous. And the best comment says, quote, shit soldier, shit sportsman, shit person, and bald, end quote. <laughs> now I had a good laugh. I mean, you really have got to love the internet sometimes. Victoria Silliers, well, she rarely gave interviews, but there's one with Good Morning Britain that she gave where she briefly talks about what happened. She talks about her recovery, why she continued to see Emil after the conviction, and you can find this video on YouTube as well. The documentary Parachute Murder Trial was released in 2018 or 19, and Victoria actually was not a part of that documentary. But I imagine that she wasn't a part of it because, you know, she needed time to heal, and she had plans to one day tell her story on her timeline and in her manner. And that she did. In August of 2020, Victoria released her book titled, I Survived, I Married a Charming Man, Then He Tried to Kill Me, A True Story. The book has close to 2,500 reviews on Amazon, more than any other book that I've ever read, and it has a 4.5 star rating. I recommend that everyone check out Victoria's book. It's a great way to support a survivor of a horrific case. A few months after Emil was sentenced, when Victoria's eyes were finally opened and she had stopped seeing him, she knew there was one more thing she needed to do. She needed to skydive again. But how would she ever get the courage? Well, she picked a date and she decided that everyone, of course, was going to be interested in this momentous event. And Victoria wanted to show her appreciation to the first responders who saved her life. In a GoFundMe-like website called Just Giving, Victoria started a fundraiser, and this is what it says. She says, quote, Thanks for taking the time to visit my Just Giving page. The last few years have provided incredible, hard mental and physical challenges. I have overcome each hurdle as they presented to me, but the biggest has been the desire to experience freefall again, yet terrified of the consequences. The jump in April of 2015 has at times played on loop in my brain, and I wanted to jump again to reset that memory. I've considered jumping many times over the last few years, but needed a push. That push has come from the realization that some good could come out of the situation, and I would jump publicly in order to raise money for Wilshire Air Ambulance, the charity that in conjunction with ground paramedics went a long way to preserving my life. Please support me by donating so that they can continue to provide a life-saving service to many others. Victoria Silliers, end quote. In October of 2018, after many of her physical injuries healed or were in the process of healing, Victoria took a big step towards healing the mental trauma caused by the attempt on her life. Victoria went to the London Parachute Schools airfield in Oxfordshire and she boarded a plane. As reported by The Sun, Victoria smiled for the cameras as spectators watched her board the airplane. Victoria recalled that the noise of the propellers turning, 
the smell of the fuel, the sensation of the cold wind rushing in through the door, it all made her very apprehensive. She said that being there, quote, took her right back to the last flight when she had a sixth sense that she should not be jumping, a premonition of something terrible about to happen, no notion of what it might be, end quote. But Victoria pushed through these feelings and she jumped out of the airplane in tandem with someone else. And when she landed, she said she felt the most incredible sense of relief and release. After the jump, she told reporters that she was actually wearing the same exact shoes that she wore in 2015 when she fell, stating, quote, what are they if not my lucky parachuting shoes, end quote. True Crime Army, there is so much to this story, but wasn't it insane? Listen, please leave me a review wherever you listen and tell me what you thought about this particular case. I know my international cases don't get as many listens, but please, 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 if you're listening, wherever you're listening, if you're listening international, if you're listening in the US, please share this story. I mean, Emile Celier's may be the biggest narcissist I think I've ever covered. I mean, I mean that he tried to loop Victoria back in after he tried to kill her twice. Holy freaking crap. All right, everyone, if you want more military stories in your life, check out my Patreon today at patreon.com slash military murder. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at military murder podcast for more true crime stories throughout the week. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and is produced in collaboration with my bootcamp and higher fan club members. This month's newest associate producers are Amber and Ingadora. This month's newest assistant producer is Saquon. The music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of, so remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week, and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. Working on our podcast. I don't want to.